Welcome and um, thanks for coming today. I had this dream that um, my USB didn't work and that no one turned up. <laughs> so thanks for your time and hopefully it'll be a process of uh, sharing um, our wisdoms and our experiences of how we um, hold um, hope for families when there's uh, enormous uh, grief and despair. And I'm here with um, my colleague uh, Nala Charles and Karen's on her way. So as a, just a little bit about our team. Um, how does this work? So um, I'm part of the ABI team and we have been, the ABI team was established in 1984 at the Bouverie Centre. And it really came, came about by accident really because there was some passionate uh, family therapists and um, neuropsychologists that really um, saw the, the degree of um, and the impact of ABI on the individual and families and just started the work uh, very slowly at Bouverie back then and uh, really recognised the degree of mental health and um, distress that families and um, and children were experiencing. And then from 2000, from the 2000 um, disability services from DHHS recognised that we needed some more funding to increase our services and so um, they provided some funding for that. And um, we, um, so we work with families in the non-compensable sector and um, some of the programs that we, or some of the work that we do is clearly around family counselling and that's for adults and children with a brain injury. And we also train across um, Victoria and, and interstate, do some um, consultation and training of workers in the areas of um, family sensitive practice. Um, we have a family to family link up program and essentially that's around um, linking families together who are experiencing similar sort of circumstances and that's really come about from our families who say look you know with due respect the work that you do and the you know we get the information that we get and the support we get from families from from workers is fantastic but can we meet somebody else that is going through the same thing and so the wisdom that comes from that is so valuable and so we have that as a regular opportunity for families to to come in we did receive funding to develop that program and now it's just part of um, you know part of what we do um, our other work is around the Tree of Life, which I'll be um, describing this, after, this morning. Um, and again, that's a narrative tool that we use to strengthen and harness um, people's, um, you know, family you know, strengths and abilities. Um, and we have a Taekwondo group that is particularly for um, Bouverie families <coughs> where there is mental health issues or um, disability. And we'll talk a little bit about that because it's very exciting news with our young kids um, uh, competing in South Korea at the moment as we speak. And we've had in the past a writers group and a multiple family group. Uh, that's our little, that's our house there. Someone said it looks like a big factory, but really it's quite pretty inside. And that's our little waiting area. Uh, okay, so um, in order to, to, oh, you know what, I, I'm sorry, I forgot to um, acknowledge um, the Indigenous community, so can I do that now, please, before we start? So I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we stand today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and I would like to acknowledge 
elders, past and present, and welcome any Indigenous and non-Indigenous people here today. All right, so um, in the spirit of actually understanding and um, appreciating resilience and hope, I'd like to um, have you think about what that, what that means for you. And um, I'd like you to um, think about a time in your life where your family faced a particular difficulty. Just sit with that for a moment. So who was there? What was happening at the time? And think about what was the most difficult part of that situation. So sit with that just for a moment. Okay, so a couple of questions. What helped your family manage that challenging time? And what resources did you need to meet that challenge? Anybody like to share? Other family members. Other family members? What in particular? Um, I think just being able to actually uh, talk about the experience and know that they were around. Yep. Okay, yep. In my case, the initial response was that it was minimised, that I felt that the problem was minimised. Yes. And the thing that helped was a lot later was really good specialist assistance. So, so uh, edu psychoeducation, or what was it about yeah, that? Yep. yep. And, and that knowledge is, is strength, isn't it? Because you know what you're dealing with. Mm. Anybody else like to share? Doesn't have to be anything fancy. What, what actually helped at that point in time? Sorry? Yeah, yeah, that presence. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay, thank you. Anybody else? It's something to actually think about because that's what we can often share with our clients and to help them strengthen their, you know, from their experiences. So um, I think most of our families would say <coughs> very similar things, that it is the the close family and extended family community that actually makes a difference. And so we need to actually um, think about how we support them in order for them to actually hold um, the strength and the hope for, for um, each other. So um, a little bit about sort of our thinking around um, resilience and working with families. And I'd like to just to share some of our thoughts around that. and. Um, We'd, we've drawn from the work of Walsh, who talks about um, family resilience as an ability to withstand and rebound from crisis and adversity. However, oh, I've just realised that that 
not shouldn't be there. Anyway, um, however, what we know is that um, that families go from one crisis to another. And so it's very difficult for them to rebound from where they were, that really that they are creating new pathways and new ways of actually being. And we know there's a study from Cummings from Deakin University that um, says that carers have the lowest collective well-being of any group. That's also comparing well-being of those who are homeless and who are unemployed. <coughs> he also says that carers have the highest rate of depression, anxiety and stress and chronic pain. And this is a, an amazing question. So um, how come they're not getting treatment? How come they're not getting the attention that they need? And most of the carers would say they just don't have time. How common is that? Yeah. So I think that, that we, have, we are advocates as well of looking out for family members because if we don't look after them, then how can they possibly look after the injured person? Um, what we know is that Families go through pretty tough times and transitional times anyway. So there's, there are crises that are associated with that. Having a young family, being a mum for the first time, adolescence, you know, managing uh, independence and dependency, young adulthood and launching into um, moving out of home. All of those can present with crises. If we add a brain injury or disability on top of that, it's quite, um, it's quite a lot for families to deal with. And so we come from the position of that the families that certainly that we see are doing the best that they can under very difficult circumstances. Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, one of the, um, the authors that um, has really sort of been thinking about the reciprocal um, nature of um, families and uh, impact is uh, Vangel and he talks about um, and has done a study of 109 uh, pairs of TBI clients and their carers and found that um, if the carer had pretty good life satisfaction so was travelling quite well that in fact the person with the ABI being an adult or child was doing quite well so there's a real strong connection and um, that in fact, you know, it, it was very um, inter interconnected. And that's a really important uh, research because it's just new. And we haven't actually, we've talked about and thought about how the person's impacted, how the family's impacted, but not how they actually cross over. So really important to start to think about uh, that, that crossover. So the other thoughts that we had was in fact that um, a lot of the research in resilience is around in individual traits and what, what is it about them as an individual that helps them to, to get by. But we're thinking about it in terms of a family unit and that, um, that it isn't a process of bouncing back. And it's not an end state either. That it's actually, um, it's, it's a changing process and that at one point in time they might be travelling quite well but at another point, like a family experiencing um, adolescence and some challenges around that, that might be a really difficult time. So it's really, um, 
context related and it evolves and changes over time. And I think we need to be aware that when, when families need um, support at those transitional moments. Okay. Um, and what the, the biggest, um, I think, insight that we have as a team is that, that, it, uh, that resilience is actually interdependent with others, other extended family, community, and it's also, um, you know, it's a, a, an extended community. So depending on what is actually happening in the community, in their family, that really determines resilience, that strengthens resilience, but also that families can actually become quite vulnerable as well. So poverty, you know, financial hardship, um, illnesses, extra illnesses in the family, all create more vulnerability for the family. And that we see family systems and the wider social networks, that's us, okay? We can become the shock absorbers in times of crisis. Okay, when, when they're deplete of energy, when they're deplete and in despair, and most of the families that we do, that we see at, at Bouvry, are at a point of despair and have lost hope, we hold that hope for them whilst they're just managing. So um, I think that that's where the, the idea of um, holding resilience in trust has, has come from and that, um, and that um, we hold it on behalf of clients and I've just already mentioned that whilst they are struggling with very serious family issues. It is, um, so it's important that we don't judge that we have no timeline for families, but rather that we share with them a deep recognition and respect for each family's capacity to change and adapt. And that's believing that it is possible. So if we can, if we believe it, if we believe that it is possible, then they will too. But we are actually really uh, important part of that system. Once they come to us, once we are part of their life, we also become part of that system. Okay, the other, the other um, concept that we thought was really um, helpful to think about is that they're not either just doing really well or they're not, but, it, but they're holding despair and resilience at the same time. And I really like this idea about struggling well. So those who struggle are not necessarily deficient, weak or blameworthy, but are managing under very difficult circumstances, influenced by genuine hardship, Okay, so our families are not just managing the cognitive, behavioural, emotional impact of brain injury. There's a whole lot of other family stuff that goes on that they're holding as well. So the, the idea is that um, resilience and vulnerability may in fact coexist and sit side by side and at some point and at various times, one family member might 
be more resilient than, than another. Or they just might be more resilient at one point in time as opposed to another. Okay? And they're holding, holding each other. Um, so some of the ABI literature informs us that these are some of the protective factors that can impact on a family managing. So it's social supports, which we've just mentioned, acceptance that life will never be the same, positive thinking and affect, spirituality, and that might be aligned with a religion, but it might be other forms of spirituality. It might be about nature, it might be about um, uh, yoga or meditation. So um, th that can be quite a wide concept. Um, providing structure, carer support, psychoeducation, which, which we've mentioned, and addressing trauma. And that's a really important one, which I was just talking with Lauren this morning about how important it is for us to recognise that some families that we are working with and some individuals have also um, experienced some trauma perhaps earlier in their life or as a consequence of the ABI, it might be a car accident or an assault. And so that the trauma is still sitting in their body. It's still part of a struggle that they're managing. And I think that without actually recognising that and, and, and helping them through that, that there's going to be that sort of reactivity that's going on and then the impact on other family members. Okay. So um, this is a, um, a, a sort of a, a model that um, our team... So this is a, um, a model that our uh, team has been working with and used in a way of conceptualising uh, how families actually, what they, what they go through and, and what, what needs to happen. So they're sort of really about tasks. And this was um, sort of developed 20-odd uh, years ago when our, the first uh, uh, team members started working with families and it's sort of evolved since then. But I think it's a really solid um, way of actually understanding the, the journey that families actually go through. And it's around, and, and as you can see, it's not linear. So it's not that they started, um, you know, understanding and resolving grief, and then they moved towards, uh, you know, some restructuring and, um, or, or growth. It's really, it, it just moves and it evolves and it's, um, it's really circular. It's, so it's around um, understanding and processing grief. So it's not that they come to an end point with grief. It's there and it, sometimes it comes up at different points in time. And mixed with that is a complication of trauma. There's also a process of restructuring, restructuring their own identity, restructuring the family's identity. And that's a, that's a really tough one. And there's um, restructuring of roles and responsibilities. Who does what? And particularly if you've got a young family, it can throw the whole system completely out of whack. And then there's um, understanding meaning. Why, why did this happen to us? What do I make of my life now? How do I actually manage my family? If you're a parent, how do I manage my, my family? I was a competent parent before. Who's going to look after the kids? I was, a, I was employed. 
I was a manager, now I can't even get out of bed. Okay, so that's happening all the time. And then there's growth through, through adversity. How do you actually work to a, a, a point of um, stability? And that again is changing all the time, depending on the family's progression through life stages as well. Any questions, thoughts? This making sense? Yeah. Okay. So this is just a model that we um, are working with, and it's been really, um, really a positive way of actually appreciating a family's journey. So I'm going to um, talk about a family that um, we've been working with, as just to illustrate um, what we do and how we do it, how we conceptualise the family work that we do, and. Uh, and an appreciation that it's actually much broader than just family counselling. Okay. So I don't. Did I? Um, okay. So um, this is a family, and you may recognise the family because you know we're sort of a small community, really. And um, so if you if you do recognise the the family, if you could just um, <coughs> respect sort of their their confidentiality in their sort of life. Um, so, a family that we've been working with, um, a mum who is in her 40s and she sustained a brain injury when she was in her 20s. So, she was working as an accountant, qualified accountant, and then had a major car accident. Fill, fill, in, fill me in, you know, if I'm missing some points. Um, major car accident uh, where she wasn't able to work any longer in that capacity. And a few years later then um, met her husband, we'll call her Delia, and met her partner and husband, John. And um, at the point, they, they became, they were in contact with um, Bouverie following the birth of their twins. So um, at that time, clearly she was, you know, had some fairly major cognitive um, impairment, memory problems, uh, you know, emotional regulation was a problem, planning was a problem. So you can imagine all of that and then having twins. Twin, having twins is hard enough, but, and, and being a, a young parent is, you know, is hard enough. So with all of that, it was absolutely, she was in despair, her, her partner was in despair. So they sought um, counselling from the Bouverie Centre. And I think with that support and the support of um, the community, I think she, you know, they, they managed quite well. And um, then two years ago, so 12 years after, they've recontacted. And I think that's, that's the, the strength, I think, of the team at Bouverie because um, it, we do see families at any time. They can come back at any time, uh, depending on what is actually occurring at that point in time. So, um, at this stage, the twins are 14 and nat naturally going through adolescence, testing the boundaries um, and really not, you know, they're increasing their independence, their ideas. So the level of conflict has, you know, just absolutely escalated. And if you're already in a position where you're, you know, you're emotionally compromised. I think Delia was just finding it very difficult to actually manage and hold and calm the situation. Any, it was a daily battle, really. 
Um, and since then, they've also had, um, not, not since the, our contact, but they've also had a, a nine-year-old daughter as well. So, um, uh, some of the um, issues that have um, emerged is that one of the twins also has a learning disability and their nine-year-old also has a learning disability. So you can see how stressed this family must be. Okay. Um, some of the um, issues that we've dealt with, even though the, the ABI was, um, so, and the family um, composition the, the, was post-ABI, their grief was still very present in that starting to compare themselves with other families so how come my mum can't do that and how come we can't do that? So these are some of the, some of the comments that um, have come from them. I just wanted to add, 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 just for a moment, it's interesting the referral. I think this happens often that the presenting issues, you won't get a referral that says the problem is to do with the cognitive difficulties. What you get is there's conflict, <coughs> things are out of control, you know, the, the couple are on the brink of separating. So yeah. it looks like general sort of family issues, but it's not until you actually go digging that you realise they're a consequence of the struggle with the ABI itself. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. So at both times when they had the young twins and yeah. then yeah. the more recent referral. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, thanks for mentioning that, Nella, because what we often get is um, referrals that have come from other um, community health centres or other practitioners where it's, it's, it, it is complex and this, these presentations, the work that we do is very complex and quite often families will say the, that they actually didn't get it. They didn't get the sort of the, the complexity around the conflict and the difficulties and the cognitive issues, okay? Um, so these are some of the comments that have come from the family, okay? What could, what could have been if my mum didn't have a brain injury, if she was like my friend's mum? Okay, um, so, and she would say, I've survived the accident, but look at my daily struggles. Look what I have to put up with every morning when I get up. Okay, um, so my mum is different. Why, is, why my mum, if only? So they're carrying that grief, that ambiguous grief every day. Okay, as they see their mum struggle, as the conflict escalates every day. And I think that what was really important um, for this particular family, for Delia, is that she, she saw herself as a bad mother. She wasn't actually coping and that she was uh, not good enough. Um, and in some ways, it was really important for us to reframe that and for her not to keep blaming herself and to think of it more in terms of um, sensitivity and of the nervous system and overload and be aware of her emotional reactivity. Okay. Now mixed in with this is trauma. So she, was, she experienced a, a, a car accident and quite often we hear that they wouldn't have remembered the car accident so the trauma is not relevant but it's in the body. Okay. And so the, re the heightened reactivity, the irritability um, is complicated um, with the, the cognitive difficulties. And it's really important to actually attend to both. 
and that's certainly what we do. And Nella's been fantastic in the sense that she's been able to offer some really clear trauma intervention for both um, Delia and her husband, John, who's also has a heightened reactivity, okay? And um, I guess the, the really important thing for the family is around the relational trauma. So family members, when there's heightened trauma and reactivity, the, there's a loss of trust and safety, okay? And we certainly prioritise that in the work that we do. How do we actually attend to the trauma? even if the memory of that trauma is not present. And this is a, a quote that, um, that Delia um, says quite often. I look fine, so others don't understand that each day is a struggle to remember, to make sure I'm organised, that I haven't forgotten something important. I get tired. Okay, that's fairly common, yeah? Okay, so some of the work that we've done with him is around restructuring roles and responsibilities and um, I think that um, for Delia to see herself as a good mother and a loving mother and um, John was, you know, the primary financial <coughs> provider, but to look at how they can actually share some of those roles much more fluidly so that they're supporting each other was really important. Um, so giving up perhaps um, being seen as just the, the, the mum, but also as a, um, a sister, a, a, you know, a daughter, and so extending her, her, herself and her identity um, further. Um, so um, appreciating that um, she and her, one of the, the, one of the twins, the girl who has the, um, um, the uh, learning difficulty was seen as being um, naughty and um, just, just destructive and uncooperative. But I think that understanding her as an adolescent with a learning disability also assisted them in being more compassionate towards each other and more open to um, if this is not this this reactivity is not happening in the family because I'm a bad mother, but because it's a natural progression of family. It's a transitional period that we need to contain. But if the parents were working more closely together, in which they have been, okay, that was a, they were able to contain some of that much more than if it was just Delia's responsibility to contain and manage. So it's far more a shared responsibility. Okay. And um, the idea of the, the ongoing support and maintenance is really important, and that's I think where we come into the picture that we don't give up, that we keep, keep um, you know, supporting them at different and difficult times. Um, so, the idea of developing new identities and working from a position of shame and diminished worth, which is what this family was experiencing, to more of a position of compassion normalising their experiences and validating their, um, their efforts. And some of the great things that they were doing in the family, which we'll come to in a moment. So working more towards strengths, pride, and um, acknowledging their own capacities. Uh, growing through adversity was a, a, a really important one. Um, so valuing both individual, you know, individual efforts and needs with family needs 
and working towards a commitment towards a family unit and having a shared and relational view of their struggles and um, using the environmental influences to, um, to, to lessen the vulnerability and I think that this family worked really well at connecting with extended family, church, youth groups, choir, um, the, the youngest girl, um, Anna, was, um, became involved in our Taekwondo group at Bouvry. So extending themselves and using the um, uh, in, environmental influence, I, th I think, helped them to create a sense of pride and strength. And I think this is a, a fantastic quote from um, Walsh. Um, around holding both hope and despair with families, the practitioners can change the odds against them. And I think that this family could not get to where they are without the support of our team, the general, their pra general practitioner who's a specialised um, practitioner in ABI, a neuropsychologist who visits on a regular basis, the OT who visits on a regular basis, the um, practitioners that are working with the, um, the learning disabilities for their children. So this is a team that hold the family. They could not possibly do this on their own. And I think it's a community responsibility. Okay. Uh, one of the, um, one of the uh, tools that we have used to um, work with um, this family is and to strengthen their capacity and lessen their vulnerability is a tree of life. And do people know about the tree of life and that, yeah, some people do? Yep, no, okay, well I'll, I'll just let you know what it is very briefly and then um, just what they've produced as a, as a, as a way of actually strengthening their, um, uh, their themselves as a, as a family. So um, what, what the tree of life is, it's a narrative tool that has been used in the past with disadvantaged communities in um, Africa, um, South America, all sorts of um, places. And um, it really starts off with actually identifying, um, you know, the, uh, where, where your family's from, what, what strengths you gain from that, from, from that history. So the roots are where the family has come from. Okay, then we have the ground, so where the children, where the family live at the present, um, what are their current activities, what, you know, how they actually identify with where they're at at the moment. The trunk is around their skills and abilities, so identifying what their personal and family strengths and skills are. The branches are their hopes and dreams, so moving towards what could be and their wishes for themselves and for the family. Uh, the leaves, and this is, this is fantastic, um, around the people that are important to them in their life. Friends, peers, extended family, workers. And then there's the, um, the leaves, the flowers and the seeds. So the gifts that um, that, that children and adults want to pass on to others. 
And then there's the fruits, the gifts that the child or adult has been given. And this process, doing this process with a family was absolutely extraordinary. Nella and I um, did this not, not so long ago. But the sense of connectedness that came out of uh, this activity with the family was extraordinary. So they came in with you know, another crisis, in despair, high conflict, and really walked away with a, a strong sense that they're a, they're a strong family. So this is what their trees look like. So this is what they produced together over a period of maybe two hours um, around their, their tree. So this is, um, this is Delia's tree and she was able to talk about all the things that, she, that were important to her so that she wasn't just a woman with a, an ABI, that she was a mother and a, and a daughter and um, a, an important member of the family. Um, so she, was, she talked about um, her roots and um, they're an Italian family from Sicily and so that what that meant for them and and there were tears in this as they were doing this particularly from Robert who is quite often seen as a disciplinarian and pretty hard um, you know connecting with his <coughs> roots and his family and what was important to him I, you know was it was really important and I don't think the kids have actually seen him cry before so this is an, a huge connecting activity as well Can I yeah Yeah, absolutely. And that the importance of family and how important um, and how hard that they have tried to um, create a, a family that's connected, that's loving. And I think this is, this is what came out particularly for, for the kids, but also for Delia and John to hear each other's story because they probably hadn't done that for quite a while. Okay. So um, some of the things that they talked about in terms of their strengths, you know, have, wanting peace in the family, um, all the things that, that, that they um, are connected to, school, football, um, you know, they talked about uh, how important their families were in, in terms of in their traditions around pasta and playing cards together. And I think that what tends to happen for the families certainly that we see is that they come in with despair, they lose all of this. They lose that there's a loss of what is important to them and, and the strengths that they gain from, from these experiences. So reconnecting with, with those um, important values is really, really important. Um, so if they talk about faith, respect. Um, you know, again, there's family, there's um, their peers, community. So it, it was an absolutely amazing process. Did you want to say anything else about that? I just found it was interesting at the end of that two hours, I said to Franca, you would not have picked that this was the same family that come in for the family therapy, which is more talking about problems. They, they did not, you know, they were there for two hours. There was a tiny bit of friendly squabbling at the end between the kids. So yep. that was nothing. They looked yeah. It really, really yeah. stood out, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And the question was, 
what will you take away from doing this? And they said, no matter what happens, we have each other. That, that probably wouldn't have said that about a week ago or a week before that. Everyone cares for one another. We do love each other, we sometimes forget, but we come back to it. Being together, we form, we form as one. The kids are best friends even though they have a go at each other. So they walked away feeling strengthened. And can I just say that um, this, this can be used in any context. So I would encourage you to think about the possibility <coughs> of connecting with strengths. You can use it for, as an, with an individual or you can use it as a, for a couple or you can use it as a larger family. And um, we've used it with um, kids up in Geelong with uh, Lauren at, um, at the McCullough Centre with um, young kids and their siblings and it worked beautifully. Any questions about that, about the use of the tool or how we, yeah? The thing that strikes me about that is that it looks like there's lots of little bits of fruit on there. Yes, 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 yep, 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 humour, love, care, respect, mm. um, it's, you know, just fantastic. The fact that they could even articulate it when they're just so problem saturated you know, a month ago or a couple of months ago was absolutely wonderful. And it's this, as I said, this is not an end point. They'll probably come back next week with more conflict, but we bring back their values and um, their connectedness, okay? And so they, they uh, we laminate them and they, they get a copy of, of, their, of their work and we've got, um, we've got them on. Um, yeah, so we can use them as well, okay. Okay, so the younger girl, who's now nine, also has a learning disability, has become um, part of our Taekwondo group. The Taekwondo group at Bouvery is, has, was developed for families where there's a, 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 fam a parent with a serious mental illness or disability. And so most of the families that have been involved in the Taekwondo group would be probably families where the kids were climbing the walls, not attending school, you know, behavioural problems, um, really acting out, okay? And um, we've had um, the benefit of uh, Bernie and Lydia Victor, who were, well, who were um, World Taekwondo champions, who have developed this group as, a, as volunteers. And they, so it's been running for seven years at Bouvery. So this is another way of, of families creating connectedness with community, having an identity, having um, a sense of achievement, okay? So um, this is coordinated by um, Aaron at, um, at Bouvery and the range of kids is between 5 and 18. Parents are involved in the process, so with this probably a room, maybe the double, double the size of this. The parents are in one end of the room and the kids work with Bernie um, at, on the other end. So they're very much part of the process. They, they can see how their children, what they achieve, what they can achieve through Bernie in his direction, and being firm but being playful. So it's, it's a really lovely way for families to connect with each other. So as we speak, and being really proud of this, Bernie has taken four of, the, four of his students 
who have reached black belt level over the years, this, this would never have been achieved. These kids probably would never ever see themselves as achieving anything really. So he's taken them to South Korea, as we speak they're there at the moment, and paid for all of their expenses. They, uh, we got a, um, an email yesterday from uh, Bernie to say that three of the students reached bronze level and one has, has, has achieved a silver medal. So this is, this is what they look like and this is where they've been practicing for the last number of years, a small room. Suddenly they're thrust into this. Absolutely mind-blowing. They were just so proud of themselves. There was lots of tears. There is lots of uh, fear, you know, going into their competition. Um, lots of holding of themselves. Imagine what experiences that would have for them of actually being able to manage fear and manage you know, containing themselves and, and achieving so much. So this is, this is another way that I think Bouverie think about the concept of resilience. It's not just sitting in a room talking about your problems. It's much, much bigger than that. It's about connecting with, with the, the, um, the system. And we've had lots of meetings with other systems, you know, the GP, OT, neuropsychs and so forth, the Tree of Life, the, um, the Taekwondo group, hopefully we'll um, help them to um, meet with another family that's going through the same experience. So it normalises their experience. They're not a sort of um, dysfunctional family out there. Okay, so um, this is just another example of what can be. I can't, I can't express enough how important the systemic work is when we're working with um, complex uh, needs. And um, it's been absolutely pivotal in the work that, and I think that the way that we see it is intensive work requires intensive work from, work from others, from the, from the system, okay? And um, so it's, it's really, really important that that, you know, that, that we work together as, um, as, a, as a group, both with the family but with other systems in place. So if we're going to be working so hard, what's really important is that we maintain a sense of hope and resilience because what we know is that there is a cost to caring. Okay, we, we really cannot uh, not be affected by the work that we do, either at a conscious or unconscious level. So it's really important to think about what we bring, the impact that, that the work has on us. And um, so I share with you this slide, because sometimes this is what I, how I feel, I don't know about you. Does it sound or look sort of familiar? Um, but it's really important to um, to appreciate that we are absorbed by the work that we do and that um, it is not a weakness, that it is about those that, um, that work well are going to be affected. There is a cost to the work, okay? So I'd like you to think about what sustains you in your work, okay? And, there, and I quite like this quote, that there is pleasure derived in being and doing the work well. So I'd like you just for a moment to, to talk with a person next to you and just 
think about what sustains you in your work, what helps you to hold on to hope, what, help, what, what helps hold the resilience in your work. Because if we don't hold it, we can't hold it for the family. Just a, mo just a minute. So any, any thoughts, sharing? Thoughts about what sustains you? Yeah, and what, what, what is it about the team that sustains you? Humour, fantastic, yep. Sure, yep, absolutely. So variety in the work, yep. Keeping that sort of energy going and, yep, lovely. Anybody else? Mm-hmm, lovely. Oh yeah. Okay, anybody else? One more. Absolutely. So yep. Yep. So our our thinking needs to to shift as well and change and be um, challenged, because that's what we're facing. And I think that the way that I, I see it is that every every um, attempt that families make to for and reach out for support is um, a chance for hope that things can be different. So whether that's Family therapy, whether it's OT, physiotherapy. Uh, I think it's also a privilege that people allow into their lives. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And the sort of the sense of trust that they have in revealing some fairly personal circumstances. I, absolutely. Um, just a, a little, uh, just um, a thought around um, the research that actually indicates that even though we encourage families to look after themselves and you know, do things, the people that are least likely to look after themselves in terms of self-care are workers. So think about that. We're not really good at it for ourselves, but we do like to encourage family members and, and the people that we work with to do it. So this is um, what Figley um, talks about being important in terms of worker resilience. So education developing and maintaining um, relationships in supportive networks, feeling content in your own life, and someone said that a, a moment ago, and setting realistic goals, limits, and boundaries. Okay, all really important stuff. And I'd like to finish the um, morning and this session with a quote from one of my um, heroes, Margaret Mead, who's a social anthropologist. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, concerned citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Okay, thank you. Thank you.